Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Greetings. We bring you greetings this morning from He who was rich but became poor that we might be rich. Can we say thanks be to God? He that was strong but became weak that we might become strong. Can we say thanks be to God? He who took upon Him the form of a servant that was made in the likeness of men. He who submitted to a death, but not only a death, but the death of a criminal, the death of the cross. He who had no earthly offspring, that we might declare His generation in our lives. His humble estate was no chance. It was no circumstance. It was God's kindness to us who were never noble, who were never powerful. We were in fact powerless, and we remain so still to this day, that we might somehow know that it is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Can we say thanks be to God? If we remember that God does in this world, through us, what He did through Christ, that when Christ was tempted... Uh, in Matthew 4, and he was tempted of the devil, that the Bible tells us that he left that temptation of his flesh and he returned in the power of the Spirit. That today, as we hear the words of Psalm 103, as we leave our weakness behind and return in the power of the Spirit today to worship him, let us hear the words of the psalmist. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, and who crowned thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. For the Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known His ways unto Moses and His acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor reward us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions. 
Like a father that pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. He remembers that as for man, his days are as grass, and as the flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall not be remembered any more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto his children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commands to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all the earth. Bless the Lord, all ye angels, them that excel in strength, these that do his commands, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye hosts, ye ministers, who of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord all of his works in all his places of dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And everybody said, Bless the Lord. Lord. Let us pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we are gathered here in your presence, O God, and we are um, encouraged, Lord, that when we were not lovable, you loved us. That when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for us. That when we did not seek you, Lord, Lord, you sought us and you found us, Lord, in the midst of our sin and our depravity, Lord, and you lifted us up by your hand, that you called us forth to serve you. And today, as your people, we gather longing to hear your voice, hungry to be fed from heaven, O God. Speak to us, O God, and lead us in the righteous path. In Christ's name we pray in all of God's people. Say amen. Please remain standing just for a few more moments as I read to you my text from Matthew 10. It was already read for us, really, the whole chapter being read by Andy here just a little bit ago. Um, But I wanted you to hear it in its entirety because, honestly, sometimes, uh, sometimes we like to dissect things, but really Matthew 10, Matthew 10 needs to just be swallowed whole. And so I wanted that to be read to you. And I'm going to try to preach to you the message of what is being taught to us from Matthew chapter 10. Um, I'll start reading in verse 1 again. I want you to hear just a little bit of it again. And then I'll go right into it. Matthew chapter 10 starting in verse 1. And when he had called. Everybody say called. Unto him his twelve, everybody say twelve, disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first was Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, Labaius whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. These twelve, everybody say these twelve. Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, go now into the way of the Gentiles and into, go not into the 
where the Gentiles and the cities of the Samaritans enter ye not, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everybody say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, Lord, as we come to this part of the service, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit to overflowing, that the water of your word would flow out and water this congregation that is so uh, so blessed and so fruitful um, in your kingdom already. But I pray that you would water them, Lord, that you would invigorate them through this and that we would bring forth more fruit. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are in 53, 54 weeks of going through the life of Christ. And we are now here at the sending of the twelve. And it is yet one of many of the narratives that are included in all three of the synoptic gospels remember what they are the synoptic gospels are matthew mark and luke they call them that because the synoptic gospels uh much of the content in all three are similar and so they're they're called the gospels basically that are alike and it seems that the sending out of the 12 is central to the message of christ and to the work of christ uh, because of this and so I wanted to talk to you about it. Um, Jesus chooses 12 men. He calls the disciples. And later we will see that they're called the apostles. In his prayer to the Father in John 17, he refers to them as, quote, those that the Father had given him, uh, except Judas who would betray him to fulfill the scripture. This prayer uh, of our Lord is such a beautiful example of a prayer of love for those that God has given us in our lives. And I would highly recommend as we ruminate this week on the message uh, that we go ahead and read John 17 as well and listen to this prayer that Jesus prayed. Now, let us take a look first at uh, the number of men. And I'll tell you, I actually had planned to talk about a few things today and I'm I'm changing what I'm talking about. Uh, If I close my computer and just... Forget it. Is that all right with y'all in here a little bit? I think God wants to say something to us today. He always speaks as we go into his word, but there is something that happens when you are a pastor that is a very humbling thing. And sometimes it's that God will just speak right from you. And later you'll listen, you'll think about what you said and you'll say, wow, wasn't that something else? And, and, uh, it certainly doesn't cause you to have pride. It certainly what it does is it reminds you that you are merely like a, a, an instrument that God picks up and plays. And that's really how we should see it. Amen? So I'm going to get all worked up and cry before I even get started preaching. So I've got to shake it off. Shake it off. I was going to tell you about 12 and how God picked 12 guys. And you guys don't need to hear about that. You guys know about the 12 tribes of Israel. You understand that in Revelation there are going to be 12 pillars in heaven and 12 gates and 12 pearls and all kinds of 12s. You got that down? Do you guys need a big lesson on 12 today? You see, God does things specifically and He does them purposefully. And you can't open up the Scripture and miss that. 
You can't open up the scripture and see that God picks 12 and, and understand that there will be 12 and that there was 12 and that before the 12, there was another 12 and somehow get out of it all. It was all circumstance and chance and God was just having to work with whatever happened. God was not working with whatever happened. He is the author. Everybody say the author. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. You can't get away from that in the very first words of the text where he said he called. Everybody say he called. You see, we are not uh, serving God today because we were clever. I remember Andy telling me how this changed his life. He, he's a pretty clever guy. He memorized, I think, a thousand numbers that come after 3.14 in pi. What a clever guy Andy Kuzel is, right? But God did not call him. He said, you know, I heard the same gospel, but I've met people more clever. He met a guy one time who played chess blindfolded with 12 people. And then Andy realized, and he beat them, of course, Andy realized he's not that clever, right? And so Andy began to wonder in himself, why did God let me? Why did I understand these things? And the answer is, everybody say, he called. You see, God chooses and God calls and God foreordains and God plans and he begins and he finishes. And what this does is it lays the foundation for the fact that God is in charge of everything. And so we know this and we believe this and I could get all riled up about it and I am, as you can tell. If you look at it next, it says that they were men. And I I think, honestly, that might be the last message that we need to hear today. I don't think anybody's confused around here that God uses men. But I thought maybe I'd talk about it a little while. I'll talk about it about a lot less than a little while. How about that? Now, if you you haven't been here before, you know that I can get carried away and, and preach a really long time. And so I'm really trying to scale it back right now. But God uses men. I can imagine the, uh, the apostles reading some of the things in Revelation. The only one alive, I think, at that time to be able to read it was the guy giving it John. He probably even almost was in dismay when he read in the book of Revelation that there will be 12 pillars in heaven, that the, that the foundations of the kingdom of God are built on these guys. And that, and that somehow God built on the, the 12 tribes of Israel and somehow he is building on these people, that the, the disciples, that these men, and when we get to talking about these men, they probably thought it was a whole lot funnier than you're going to think it because they knew how weak they were. They knew how flawed they were. They knew how messed up they were. They knew how much of the story, the great story that they were hearing wasn't about their greatness, but about God's great mercy and about his kindness and how he calls people to serve him, not because they're great. In fact, he calls them because they are not great. If God uses people today, he doesn't use great people. And so that could be sort of insulting to some of you. But I'm going to take it today as a badge of courage that I will wear around my neck till the day I die. God called me because I wasn't great. In Matthew 19, we go through and we learn about, uh, about how he said... Uh, Jesus said unto them that those which have followed me in the regeneration of the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of glory and shall sit upon 12 thrones. I think, when, I think Andy, I think when they thought about sitting on those 12 thrones, they thought it was funny. <laughs> I get to sit on a throne. It says that they will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. I guarantee you when they were alone and they were just like, come on, seriously, I mean, come on. When you think of thrones, you think of important and powerful and smart people. And they understood more than anybody that they smelled like fish. That their hands were calloused. 
that they would let the Lord down, that they would let themselves down, that they would, they would be more acutely aware of their own weaknesses and wonder why God was using them over and over through their lives. We know that they were just men. We know that, that somehow God has made the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the multiplication of 12 flawed men and 12 other men, 12 apostles and 12 uh, the 12 tribes of Israel and even made the whole of heaven 144. And for you homeschool children, that's 12 times 12. <laughs> oh, God is good. They were men and we know they weren't women. And today you're almost ashamed to be a man. They've, they've done such a good job making women free of all the nonsense that people have in the world that men are almost ashamed to be men. Uh, but, but that's all right. Uh, we're not ashamed to be men. Any, any men ashamed to be men around here? I'm not ashamed to be a man. God made me a man and that's what I am. But what I want to focus on and what God began to uh, mark on my heart is this. And I'll read to you a scripture here that has just been just, it's like, it's, it's like a song, buddy, that I can't get out of my head. I can't get this song out of my head. And so I got to sing it. All right. First Corinthians chapter one says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see, brethren, how not that many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God had chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, and they which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence." If you are here today, if you are used mightily in the kingdom of God, it is because you are not wise. It is because you are not great. It is because you are not powerful. It is because God is going to bring to naught from those that are not so great. That's a pretty powerful message, folks. It says, but of him ye are in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Paul said this, he said, he said, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ that I might be found in him, not in having my own righteousness, which is of the law. He talked about all he had to brag about, but he said those things he couldn't bring himself to brag about in Galatians. They said they want to glory in me. And he said, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. When he called those 12 disciples, he, uh, he gave them power and he gave them power. He, but if you remember when they came back and they were glad about their power, what did he tell them? Don't rejoice about that. You can come back. Yes, the devils are subject unto you. And so what does he do? They go out and get him when they come back and they find out the devils won't even listen to him when they come back second time. Oh yeah, you guys have very little faith. He said, this one comes not out, but by prayer and fasting. And as I, I kind of felt like I was in a genealogy for a moment as I was reading through this and I was going to look over it and I wasn't going to go through this. But um, as I begin to read the names of the 12, uh, really, honestly, when you look through the scriptures there, it's a little bit confusing about who these men were. They, uh, they go by nicknames, they go by surnames, they go by things they were known by. Uh, but it really is more like real life. You know, sometimes we call Luke, Luke. Sometimes he's MC. Sometimes he's uh, Luke Bo or MC Lukito. He has many, many names. Uh, we have nicknames around here that come from, uh, you know, what we know. Jeff, whenever we're 
working on a project and things are being stacked, he becomes Stackageweya. And um, we have lots of, lots of fun nicknames around here like that. But these men are called by different names and sometimes you even lose track. Who are they even talking about here? It's James. Well, which James is that? And it's John, but which John is that? And it's Mary, but then there's Mary, and then there's Mary, and then there's Mary, and then there's Mary. Which Mary could it be? Well, we're not really sure which Mary it is, and we don't know. And I think that God did this on purpose because God was not writing a book about Peter. And he wasn't writing a book about uh, Jude. And he wasn't writing a book about anything that had to do with the flesh of man. But the point would be that we would be confused about which Philip it was and which Philip it wasn't. Was it the Philip that we read about later in the book of Acts that was the disciple or was it not? Who is it? We're not exactly sure exactly which one it was. And you might go, oh, what was God doing? God was doing something to put in our minds that as great as these men might be in our minds, they were not great men at all. And we read through them, Simon, Peter, Andrew, we read through them already. We start off with, uh, I think I kind of maybe, I don't know what order I put these in, I apologize, but I'm going to talk about them just a little bit and preach to you a little bit about each of these men. Andrew was the brother of Peter. I mean, his, his greatness is that he, he was the brother of a great guy. So that kind of demotes him down one level lower than the guy, Peter, who really wasn't all that great to begin with. Because he had such problems, but we'll get to him. He was his brother. You know, it's like meeting someone. Oh, Sam, who's Sam? Oh, oh, that's Jacob's brother. It's like, oh, okay, I mean, you know, one day I'd just like to be Sam, right? But that's who he was. He was the son of Jonas. He lived in uh, Bethsaida in Capernaum. He was a fisherman before Jesus called him. Originally, he was a disciple of John the Baptist. And Andrew brought his brother Peter to Jesus. And so, it's funny. He's always known as the brother of Peter, but Andrew was first. I mean, can you imagine it? You know what? Everybody talks about my sister Anna, you know. But I mean, she's younger than I am. She's the youngest girl in the house. I mean, this is the way that their lives were. That, that every time they would find something that they had an advantage of. You know, I, I, was, a, I was a disciple of uh, John the Baptist. And, uh, and I brought my brother Peter here. And now he's last. He's the brother of Peter. Right? Andrew brought his brother Peter to Jesus. He was the first to have the title uh, uh, as a missionary, really, in, in history, if you read about him. He is claimed by three different countries, though, as a patron saint of Russia, Scotland, and Greece. They all claim that Andrew came there and brought them the gospel. Many scholars say that he preached in Greece and Asia Minor, around the world. Andrew introduced other people to Jesus. That was his greatness. He was a guy who introduced some people to other people. You know, that's a great gift of God. Being able to find people that need people and just introduce those people to those people. You know, we were making jokes last night. We're going to quit introducing our special friends to some of you because then we never get to talk to them again. Because now you're talking to them and they're staying at your house. and You're making them special things to drink, but we never get to see them, you know. Oh, you, we knew them before you did. If you like that cartoon, you know, mine, 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 all mine, right? According to tradition, uh, Andrew died a martyr, and uh, the governor of of a of, of a place uh, was healed and converted to a Christian, but and the governor's brother even became a Christian, and uh, the guy who he had converted, and, and this is this is you know it's going to be our fate, Steve. One of the people of our church is going to end up killing us, right? You know, and uh, that's what happens. So the guy gets so enraged that he arrested him, condemned him to die on a cross. Andrew felt unworthy to be crucified in the same shaped cross as his master. So he begged instead of be, to being placed on a cross like we see Christ was on, they put him on 
a cross that was shaped like this. You've seen this in some of the crests of some of these countries, right? Have you seen that X? That X represents Andrew. You see it in the Scottish, you see it in the Scottish crest uh, of arms. He said, I, I don't, I'm not worthy. Uh, and so he, he has an apostolic symbol. If you read about him and you read about him in history, it is of two uh, things crossed together in a fish to remind him that he was a fisherman. Now, folks, if I was going to have a symbol, you know, uh, it, it has to mark the fact that I was killed and it marks the fact that I used to smell like fish. Uh, folks, this is not a great symbol in many ways, but you see what they begin to see and what the people of uh, the church begin to understand is that these men of God, that they would not be known for their greatness, but what would be great about them was their weakest moments, their weakest times, their, their hours where they, they didn't do what they should do oftentimes. Bartholomew or Nathaniel, the son of Talame, lived in Cana of Galilee. He probably was well acquainted with the people that Jesus visited the day that he brought, uh, he made wine at the wedding feast of Cana of Galilee. His, ap- his apostolic symbol is a pair of three knives. And I kind of looked that up and trying to figure out why. And they said, oh, because when they killed him, they took these three knives and they filleted his flesh off of his body until he could stand the pain no more. And so he's well known uh, for lots of things that did lots of good, but his symbol is three knives. He went to the country of Armenia. Armenia says that he went there and brought the, Christ, brought <clears throat> the message of Christ there. A number of scholars believe he was the only one of the 12 disciples who might have had somewhat of a, a, a royal background, but he, he wasn't living, obviously, in royalty. He was somehow exiled in his royalty. And... Um, Bartholomew's name appears with every list of the disciples in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it's in Acts. Uh, but it was not the first name he was called by. He was probably was called Nathaniel, uh, which Jesus called, remember, the Israelite in whom uh, there is no guile. Uh, the New Testament gives us very little information about him. Tradition indicates that he was a great searcher of the scriptures. He was a scholar of the law and the prophets, and he developed into a man of complete surrender to Jesus. Uh, he is said to have preached with Philip um, and, that, uh, and that he, of course, died there in, um, after he was preaching. James the Elder, um, also the son of Zebedee, brother of John the Apostle, was a fisherman who lived in, who, uh, lived in Bethesda and Capernaum and in Jerusalem. And uh, you can read about him all that you like, but what you'll find is that he really wasn't very great. And, uh, and that although he, is, he had a, a good heart, that he really uh, let the others down quite a bit. You read these stories. As I was reading, I kept wanting to read more greatness into each of these stories and find out, you know, some great thing I could point out. But the message I kept getting over and over and over is that they really weren't that great. Um, I'll tell you this. Sometimes I, I know that God has called me and, um, and I feel like I let my congregation down. I feel like I let my family down. I want to be the great paragon of virtue and of wisdom and I want to know the right things to say. Uh, but I come from, um, I don't come from greatness. And as I lament these things, God begins to remind me over and over again that if I did, then I probably wouldn't be called. I probably couldn't be used. I would have a platform to stand on of, look at me. Uh, But not having that really is what I stand on every day.
They say that he was a man of courage, a man of forgiveness, a man without jealousy, living in the shadow of John, uh, who we know was a man of extraordinary faith. He was the first of the twelve to become a martyr, though, and his symbol uh, is of three shells, the sign uh, that he uh, made this trip all the way to the sea to bring the gospel. James, the lesser um, son of Alphaeus, lived in Galilee. He was the brother of the apostle Jude. According to tradition, he wrote the epistle of James and preached in Palestine and Egypt and was crucified in Egypt. James was one of the little known disciples. Some scholars believe he was the brother of Matthew, the tax collector. And James was a man of strong character and one of the most fiery type. Still another tradition says that he died a martyr and that his body was sawed in pieces. And as I told you earlier, he's the one whose symbol became the saw. As we were quoting our memorization scripture, it says not only are we called uh, to the gospel, but we are called to suffer for his name. Many people forget this calling. And as I was listening to the whole chapter of Matthew being read, I was listening to over and over the things that they were they were asked to do and were told would happen. Did you guys did you guys hear that? Were the kids wrestling around to where you missed that? Or did you hear that? He completely strips them of every possible prop. Did you guys read it? They're not, they weren't allowed to take a Bible. They weren't allowed to take extra money. They weren't allowed to take extra clothes. One of them says they weren't even supposed to take, uh, you know, some people thought it says they weren't even allowed to wear shoes. And so some people go around not wearing shoes. But what they were saying is that you can take sandals, but you can't take shoes. There was a distinction between shoes that you took trips on and, that, you know, and shoes you worked and did things in. And so you'll read these three different accounts. They were told that their, their actual shoes, Luke, are mentioned by Jesus. Why? He was stripping them from top to bottom of everything they could lean on. He told them that they could go to places and if the people didn't like them, they were supposed to leave. So their ability to make friends was even taken away. He said, you're going to go bring division. He said, people are going to hate you. He said, people are going to hurt you. He said that people are going to call you the devil. Right? I mean, this was not a pep talk. This is not William Wallace standing out there, you know, in his fake kilt that didn't exist at the time of the story that we heard, but it really fits in great with the, with the movie narrative, right? They can take away everything, but they can't take away your freedom, right? You know, and here he is. He's saying, they're going to take everything from you. They're going to take your freedom. They're going to take your reputation. You're going to die. They're going to call you the devil. But do you understand that you're not greater than your master? And that what they will do to me, they will do to you and then some. Their invitation was to come and to follow him to death. And a lot of us don't really hear that lesson and don't really want that lesson because we're so intent on the good life. And I'm not saying we don't have a good life, but I'm telling you the good life doesn't come by trying to have it. Can I say that again? The good life does not come by trying to have it. Jesus said, he that tries to save his life will. And he that loses his life for my sake shall what? Find it. We spend so much of our energy building the good life around us. It is so tempting to build a beautiful family life and a beautiful life around us so that we can live the good life. And we do live good lives. But I'm telling you that the good life that we will live will not be a life that we have built. 
It will not be built upon the pillars of our success or our greatness of our ingenuity, on our uh, uh, self-styled individualism and that we don't need anybody. The kingdom of God is built on weak people who need other weak people. And God banned together a group of weak men who were hot-headed, who were zealous for the wrong things. I even found a reform guy in here who was so worried about being smart and being right that, that, and, and so zealous about wanting to run the government and take over that it was difficult for him even to be a disciple. But you know what God did? God crushed that to powder in his life. And may God crush us all in our desire and our idea that we can serve God somehow from our strength. I know that Steve probably feels this way. Uh, and I'm sorry, I use people in my congregation as examples, Steve, and you're here today. I know Steve wears a robe and I know he comes out there and he really looks like he's something. You know, I've seen him in it. I've been there at the church, you know, and he comes out and his collar's glowing like a halo that slid over his head and it's down <laughs> over his neck now. And he comes out in that robe and I, every time I'm like, honey, I got to get me one of those. I got to have me a robe like that. I'm like, honey, look how good Steve looks in that robe. She's, and uh, she didn't say this, but it's true. I, I know I would not look that good. I, I would look more like, you know, I don't know, maybe the Michelin man or something. I don't know. But uh, Or maybe it would hide all this. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but I guarantee you that if you looked into his heart and he knows his weaknesses and his sin and his frailty and how he fails his wife and his children and the church and he wishes he had more energy to spend and he wishes the words that he spoke were more wise and oftentimes he is discouraged but I know that the Spirit comes and encourages him and says, Hey, Steve, you don't have to be wise. Hey, Steve, you don't have to have the, the right things to say. Because you see, he told these disciples, When you go, I don't even want you to plan what you're going to say. He took everything from them. I want you to wait till the moment in time that it comes you're supposed to talk. And let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to fill your mouth. He took their sermon notes away from them. He took their Bibles from them. He took their money from them. He took their extra shoes and their extra clothes. And he said, now go. They're going to treat you like dirt. Go. And they went. John, son of Zebedee, brother of James, the apostle, was known as the beloved disciple. He was a fisherman also who lived in Bethsaida and Capernaum in Jerusalem, was a member of Christ's inner circle. We know him for the gospel of John and the three uh, epistles that he wrote in Revelation. And we know he preached among the churches of Asia Minor. Over and over, they tried to kill him. They served him poison. They boiled him. They did all of these things to him. But do you know why God kept him alive? Because he wanted to. He didn't get to be a martyr. Why? They couldn't kill him. It's kind of like uh, St. Francis of Assisi. He wanted to be a martyr so bad. He wanted to be killed. They, and, and he's like, oh man, if I could go over these Muslims, they'll take me and they'll kill me and I'll get to be a, a martyr for the gospel's sake. And they, he'd go over there and, uh, and they would go to drown him and he would start praising God for beautiful water that quenched his thirst and beautiful water that washed him and beautiful water that fed his crops. They'd be, this guy's crazy. Like water's getting ready to kill him and he's thanking God for the water. What kind of a nut is this? John was one of these people who was a nut. He was sold out. Some people say he lost his mind and could not remember anything that Jesus said except about love. 
And I say, yeah. No, what happened is, is when life chews you up, spits you out, beats you down, and God uses it to turn you to powder in the end, folks, the only message that matters is the message of love. Because even though Paul wrote it, John lived it, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and I don't have love, I've got nothing. Though I have great faith and I, so that I can move mountains, though I give my body to be burned and I'm so sacrificial, without love, none of it seems to matter at all. And John was taught this, and it took him to live this out and to be the example of the beloved disciple of the Lord, of the great pillar of the church. But I can tell you, John never saw himself that way. Not a day of his life did he see himself that way after uh, he stood there and he watched Christ die and stood there with his mother and was offered to, to care of, of Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. I think he began to understand that his life would be a life of rejection, that he would be like his master who was despised, who was rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As Jeff read for us from out of Isaiah 52 before that, right? Isaiah 53 says what I'm quoting, but in 52 it says that his visage would be marred so much so more than any other man's. That, that it tells us in Isaiah 53 that there would be no beauty in him, that he would be desired. And this beauty, whatever it was that his mother Mary saw and the little babe that was in the manger was beaten by the fists of soldiers, was crammed down crowns upon the top of his head and blood flowed down and he was stripped naked, bare, our Lord shamed like that before us. And he, was, he did this because he wanted us to know that we, in order to give our lives, must become shameful. And we go, oh, we want to be respectable. And I'm telling you, if you tried to build a life of respect, if you tried to build the good life, if you tried to say, oh, look at me, look at my homeschool kids, look how clean they look and look how well they obeyed and, and look how much smarter they are than the public school. If that's the life you're trying to build, I'm telling you, you will not build a good life. But if you do what God requires of you to do, and on the way to doing that, you lose your life, and you take chances that you are worried that they're not going to turn out right, and you say, oh God, but I'm going to follow you into this endeavor. I'm going to have faith because if I try to do something in my greatness, I will watch it fall. I will watch it fail. It will be built out of the wood, hay, and stubble that is our flesh, that is our strength. And God says, I don't need your strength. In fact, Paul became so strong because of what uh, he had seen in the heavens and because of what he had seen God do that God sent a messenger of Satan to buffet him lest he be lifted up in pride. And God told him that he needed to do this because his strength would be made perfect. How? In weakness. How many of you want to be weak? How many of you want to be the poor in spirit that Jesus taught about? Nobody wants to be. I've never seen a t-shirt yet poor in spirit. I've never seen anyone. That'd be their slogan for the ministry. Hey, our church, Foundation Church, poor in spirit. Nobody wants to be that. But Jesus said, but blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. I'm telling you that these men were poor in spirit. They didn't start off that way. They started off like you and me. They started off flawed and failed. And, but, but they begin to learn and they begin to find out very quickly that their lives would have to be lost in order to be able to find them. They saw firsthand how the kernel of wheat, which was their savior, was killed. That he was taken down and planted in the ground. And that in that very same way, that is how their lives would go. That if they were going to bring up fruit for the kingdom of God, it was not going to come through their great efforts. It was going to become through the sunshine of the power of God. 
We learn about Judas Iscariot. We know, but he did play a role. And God picked him and he showed us, you know, among all the people that he picked, Judas was from the strongest position. He was from the best family. He was from the most wealthy situation. Judas was the most respected. Paul, when he came in Galatians, as he began to open up his ministry after God revealed himself to him uh, on the road and, and, and struck him down with blindness, he, he tells the story and he says he went to where the people of God were gathered. And he says, and those that seemed to be the greatest people, he goes, those people, they didn't really add anything to me. But he found a humble man. He found a sweet man and God used that man to extend to him the right hand of fellowship. We learn about Jude. Jude is also known as Thaddeus or Labaius, son of Alphaeus. He was the brother of James the Younger. He was one of the very little known apostles and he lived in Galilee. Tradition says he had preached in Assyria and Persia and that he died a martyr in Persia. Jerome called him uh, Trinomius, which means a man with three names. Um, in Mark 3.18, he is called Thaddeus. Matthew 10, he's called Labaius. His surname was Thaddeus. In Jude... Uh, or in Luke 6.16 6, and Acts 1.13, he is called Judas, the brother of James. Judas Thaddeus was also called Judas the Zealot. By character, he was intense. He was a violent nationalist with a dream of power and domination by God's chosen people. How many have met you know these, these zealots, these people? We're going to crush them all. We're going to just bring them down. We want the God's kingdom to come and His will be done. And I want to be that guy. I'm telling you, you can be that guy, but you won't be that guy by taking that road. The guy that takes that road and beats his fist and wants to swell in courage to beat down God's enemies will be the guy who is defeated by his own self. That he will, he will be the wood, hay, and stubble that perishes when God judges the church. In the New Testament, it records that he asked Jesus at the Last Supper, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Judas Thaddeus was interested in making Christ known to the world, not as the suffering Savior, but as a ruling king. We can see plainly from the answer that Jesus gave him that the way to power can never be substituted for the way of love. It is said that Jude went to preach the gospel in Edessa near the Euphrates River, that he healed many, and many believed in the name of the Master. Jude went from there to preach the gospel, and he was killed by arrows at Ararat. The chosen symbol for him is what, guys? It is a ship. Because he was a missionary, uh, thought to be uh, had had been a had been a um, been a fisherman. I did a whole sermon on Matthew, and we talked about that a few weeks ago. How what an amazing thing that God had sinners and publicans. Did you guys do you guys remember that? Uh, my t- title of my sermon was Republicans and Sinners instead of Publicans and Sinners. And uh, we began to see how God chose Matthias, or He chose Matthew here, uh, because Matthew was not the obvious choice. He had gone to work for the Romans. He had basically sold out the Jewish people. He was probably uh, extorting money even out of some of these people and living a life of somewhat of ill repute. Uh, We don't exactly know, but we know that there are several reminders to the Scriptures that God saves publicans. And sinners. And I just thought it was the funniest thing in the world that he got a special brand of sinner. You know, he's not just a sinner, he's a publican, you know. And so God went deeper, even than bad off sinners, and he called a publican. Uh, history tells us that, uh, that he died a martyr in Ethiopia. 
The call of Matthew to the apostolic band is mentioned in Mark, Matthew, and in Luke. And from these passages, we learn that he was also called Levi. It was a common custom in the Middle East at the time to, uh, to people to have two names. And Matthew's name meant gift of God. Uh, and the Levi could have been given to him as a nickname, really, by Jesus himself. Um, of the nations of the world, the Jews were the most vigorous haters of tax gatherers, as I told you. The devout Jew... Uh, God was the only one to whom it was right to pay tribute to. Uh, to pay to anyone else was in, to infringe on the rights of God. And the tax collectors were hated not uh, on religious grounds, but only because they were, they were thought to be notoriously unjust. In the minds of many honest Jewish men, uh, Matthew would have been the worst choice ever. And Matthew was unlike the other apostles and you may find this, maybe you're, not, maybe you're not that brave, maybe you're not that great, but maybe you can use a pen. He could use a pen and God used that uh, to become the first man to present the gospel to the world in the Hebrew language as an account of, uh, of the life of Christ. It is clearly impossible to estimate the debt that Christianity owes to this despised tax gatherer. The average man would have thought it impossible to reform Matthew, but with God, everybody say, all things are... Matthew became the first man to write down the teachings of Jesus, and uh, his symbol is three money bags, which reminds us that he was a tax collector. So his badge, his 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 moniker, his symbol is what? Is it a symbol from his strength or a symbol of his weakness? Everybody say it's a symbol of his weakness. If you're keeping track and you're getting scared at the time and how long I'm preaching, I'm at Peter, and I'm not keeping track. So uh, who knows? I may be at three and there may be 50 more. Wait, wait a minute. There's only 12, right? We know about Peter. And honestly, I've preached about Peter several times. And Peter's story is really uh, a story of God's mercy. Here we have a guy who missed it every time. A guy who the only one of the apostles Jesus looked at and gave him a nickname. I would never want. Would you want to be looked at, Steve, and be called Satan? And uh, I'll be doing that to somebody here in the church, you know, soon uh, so that you can be like Peter. How many of you like that? You know, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, what on earth would you do? But Peter wasn't going to leave Jesus because you know what? He had nowhere to go. Right? He said, are you going to leave me? And he said, where could I go? You see, Peter learned that to be a zealot and a follower of Christ, you had to leave all. That you, you had to burn your bridges. I was mentioning it to someone like the, the, the uh, conquistadors that went down there uh, to South America. You can debate on whether that what they did was right or wrong or whatever, but they burnt their ships and they got off of them and they said, we ain't leaving this place until we conquer. And Peter's life was like a life of burnt ships. He almost burned, you know, if, if Christ hadn't been who he was, he would have burnt his bridges with him long ago because he missed out. He tried to do wrong. He denied the Lord three times. He was an embarrassment and a humiliation. But at the same time, <clears throat> God used him. God put it in his heart. He changed him through a look that Jesus gave him. And here he was. He, he saw Jesus. He just jumped off the boat. And he swims to the shore to be with him. And he saw that in his weakness, that his weakness would not be a drawback, but it would be a strength. Because in our weakness, he becomes strong peter would find out uh what it was uh to understand that his weakness would be a strength his apostolic symbol 
is a cross upside down because although people thought that he was supposed to be the head of the church or they glorified him in many ways, he would not have himself compared to Christ in any way. He said, no, just just put me upside down if you're going to put me on a cross. Philip, the disciple, he was martyred in Hierapolis. He came from Bethesda, the town which Peter and Andrew came The likelihood, too, is that he was a fisherman, although the first three Gospels record his name. It is not until the Gospel of John that Philip's life becomes a living personality. Scholars disagree on whether he was the man who uh, became a deacon in in an Ethiopian eunuch. To me, that wouldn't make any sense that he would be mentioned as, you know, a disciple, and apostle, and then he would become a deacon. But I don't know, and the Bible leaves this ambiguous. The Gospel of John shows Philip as one of the first men whom Jesus addressed, follow me. And Philip met Christ. He immediately found Nathanael, told him, we found him of whom Moses and the prophets write. Nathanael was skeptical, but Philip did not even argue with him. He wasn't probably good at that. He just said, come and see. The story tells us two important things about Philip. It shows us that his right approach to the skeptic of his simple faith in Christ. Second, he shows us that he had a missionary heart. Philip was a man with a warm heart and pessimistic head. He was one who would very much like to do something for others, but he couldn't really see how it could be done. It is simple that this Galilean gave all that he had. In return, God used him. It is said that he died by hanging. And while he was dying, he requested that his body not be wrapped in linen because he said that that was what our Lord was wrapped in. And we said, would you please just wrap my body in papyrus which was a cheap thing and he didn't want to even be associated with the death of christ because he felt so despised and so far away from god in so many ways the symbol of philip is a basket because of his part in feeding the five thousand in this uh we also learn that he learned in his life even before he died and he said you know the cross should be a symbol of victory I know some of you think of it as a shameful thing that they were able to take Christ and kill him. And he is the first person to say, history teaches us, no, we should use the cross. We should lift it up. Even though it looks like a defeat, even though it looks like a shameful death, even though we're pointing out that he's a criminal, let me tell you, he wasn't. And that in his humiliation, all of those things happened. But this was God's plan. You see, they understood that God would not let flesh get the glory He would not let our strength be the story. Simon the Zealot, he was one of the little uh, known followers of Christ. And when I was reading through this, it called him Simon the Canaanite. And I was like, what? I mean, does that sound right to you? So if you're reading through the scriptures and you read Simon the Canaanite, don't get confused. He wasn't a Canaanite. He was from Cana, you know. And also, not only was he from Cana, but the word that William Tyndale translated, translated Canaanite can also be translated as zealot. And in the other Gospels, he is, it, it is translated that way as zealot. The New Testament gives us nothing, basically, on his life except that he was a zealot. The zealots were fanatical Jewish nationalists who had heroic disregard for the suffering involved in the struggle for what they regarded as their purity of faith. He was, he was the reform guy. He was the guy that says, I want it right. I want it exactly right. I want the holy worship of God to be right. 
I can tell you right now, if you're pursuing the holy worship of God and you care more about what happens in your church as being right and you more than you care about the people of God, if you want everything perfect and exact and it's got to be right, and if it's not, we can't do it, you're missing the message of the gospel. God hasn't called us to be right and to do everything just right and to be perfect and not get anything messed up. He's called us to love people first and then get it right after that. The zealots were crazed with hatred for the Romans. We can sometimes get caught up in our hatred of the people of this world and forget that we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Amen? We can say, I hate that Obama. I hate that Hillary Clinton. I hate the evil people of this world. And we can be filled with rage and hatred. But God tells us that the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. We can spend time target practicing in our backyards. And we can spend time loading our weapons and building an arsenal and being ready for the day when God's going to take vengeance on our evil ones, right? And you will miss out on what God has to do. And I'm not saying we shouldn't own guns. I got five or six of them at my house. But I'm telling you, we can get caught up in a hatred. If you carry a gun, do it because you love your family and you want to protect them and be a father to that. But folks, we are not, we are not called up to, to raise up an army and, and shoot down our enemies. They'll never be conquered like that. And if they were, God would let them defeat us again so they could be conquered through love. I'm telling you, that's what the message of the gospel teaches. From his background, we see that Simon was a, a, a fanatical, nationalist, devoted to the law, a man with bitter hatred for anyone who dared compromise with Rome. You guys know people, a few of those American Vision guys kind of like that, you know? I'm, I'm not trying to be too mean on these guys, but, you know, I sometimes read them, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to just kick them over, and I'm going to punch them in the face. And, and I'm not saying those guys feel that way. I'm just saying when I read some of that stuff, I get all riled up. Not Maybe you guys don't, but I do. The Bible teaches us he abandoned, or well, history teaches us more than anything, that he abandoned his hatred of, for these people and that he began to really grow and glow as a man who loved God and was loved, who loved people. In so much so that he became friends with Matthew, the tax collector, the last guy of the twelve you would ever think a zealot could be friends with, the guy, the traitor, who was working for these stinking Romans. Folks, do you know the stinking Romans were not the enemy? Everybody say, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Guys, don't let us be like those who are, we're expecting Jesus to rise up and be a military leader who were let down by what he really did. Let us be wiser than that. Simon, the man who once would have killed uh, for the loyalty in Israel, became a man who saw that God will have no forced service. Tradition says he died as a martyr. His apostolic symbol is a fish. Lying on top of a Bible which says, that's what he used to be. That's what he used to be. Thomas, and we have a, we have a sermon here. We don't say doubting Thomas. We say believing Thomas. Uh, they call him a doubter. And, but, you know, more and more as I serve God, you know, I, I don't know that it's bad that he was a doubter. You know, I've blasted Samson. You guys know the story of Samson? I almost hate that story. And maybe I hate that story because I might be more like Samson than, than anybody. And I don't mean for his strength. I mean because Samson was an idiot. Everybody say Samson was an idiot. Samson was an idiot. Samson was an idiot. He really was. But, he, but God lists, lists him in Hebrews 11. And this is hard for me to deal with, honey. But you know what? It shouldn't be any more hard for me to deal with than that I might be listed one day. <laughs> Amen. 
I read about his story, and here he's got all this strength from God, and he runs around and he does ungodliness, and every time he does anything good, it's because he's mad because he couldn't get more ungodliness in. Right? And they trick him and they cheat him, and then he's mad and he lifts up those gifts. Oh, this is great. He catches the foxes, he burns them. Why does he do any of it? Because God is great. And he no, he does it because he's mad. And in the end, he dies killing more in his death than he did in his life. And I've always thought that was shameful. But you know what? I think there'll be some people who are pretty shameful who are going to make it to heaven one day who will be God's heroes because God says, look what I can do. I can use this long-haired rebel. It wasn't, his long hair didn't make him a rebel, but it does kind of work out there. <laughs> I'm going to use this long-haired rebel Samuel who looks like a hippie. And I'm going to use him for my glory. That's what I'm going to do. And even though he brings honey to his mom and dad, and even though he dates Philistines and runs around with harlots and lays in their laps so they can cut his hair, I'm still going to use him for my glory. And that should give some of you hope. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, well, I thought we're all good people here. Some of you got it all covered up real good, but you're just, you're no better than he is. But you know what? One day you can have hope. You can keep it all to yourself for now. One day you can have hope. You know what's going to happen? One day your name's going to be written down somewhere on the wall of faith and God will go, yeah, you know, when you did that bad thing, let me tell you what I did with that. Let me show you how I used you anyway. And you'll go, you'll raise your hands and you'll hold them up to God and you'll go, God, you're so good. You're so good. Thomas, all that he was guilty of, folks, it was wanting to touch Jesus' nail prints. All he, was, all he said is, I want to see him. I can't get mad at him for that. All he needed to do was see Jesus and, and, and he would believe. And he did believe. He saw it. And he made the most powerful declaration of the Lordship of Christ. He falls down and he looks at Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. You see, the man who was considered the greatest doubter of all had the greatest proclamation of faith of all of the Gentiles, or of all of the disciples. I'm getting all worked up. Twelve men. Twelve stories that wouldn't make the Fortune 500 or wouldn't make People magazine. Probably wouldn't even be your friends. If you could pick real good friends. But they were guys whom God used for His glory. You see the message of Matthew chapter 10. Is that no flesh can glory before the presence of the Lord. That God will have His holy will in spite of us. That when He uses us we can't glory, we can't swell in pride. But we should bow in humility. That He condescends to the lowest state that we are. That we might be like David who cried out to the Lord in Psalm 8 and said, What is man? What am I, Lord, that you are mindful of me like that song, How Sweet and Awful? Oh, Lord, why am I a guest? When thousands make a wretched choice and would rather starve than come. Oh, Lord, why did you make me to taste these things? And instead of looking at it with pride and saying, I'm one of those chosen people. May it turn our hearts to pity and say, Oh, pity the nations, oh, our God, constrain the earth to come. May we say, Oh, we long to see thy churches full. May we be willing to give of ourselves and send our children out and not focus on building the good life, but really get a good life from God. I'm telling you, that's the good life that we can have in Christ. Let us pray.
Oh, Lord, we have been guilty, Lord, but I don't suppose much more guilty than your disciples. Lord, we have been sinners, but even Paul, who called himself the chief of sinners, he even seems worse off than many of us. Probably none of us can be attributed to hauling off people from the church to prison and causing them to be separated from their families, maybe even killing None of us stood by while Stephen was stoned and held the coats of others. But yet, in it all, Lord, we have been guilty of living lives of peace and and affluence and, and enjoying the great privileges that we have and padding our lives with security and not living lives of reckless abandon for the kingdom. Literally not hurtling to lose our life that we might find it. Oh God, may you give us children in this church who are hearing this message today that say, that's what I want to do today, Pastor Mark. That's what I want to do. People of Foundation Church, that's what I want to do. I want to lose my life. Lord God, I don't care what you call me to do or where you send me, Lord. I don't care if you ever give me anything good or make me look good or give me a good name. I don't care if I can impress anybody because of what I've ever learned. Oh God, use me. Use me, Lord, in my self-righteousness. Lord, use me in my ungodliness. Lord, use me in my privilege and my wealth as I'm here in America living among the, the, the richest people in the world with the great blessings. Oh, God, may I not walk in pride, but I, may I find a way to take these resources and funnel them to the people of God who are on the, uh, uh, the work for you all over this world. Oh, God, give us hearts in the children that are here that they would go out like arrows, Lord, and that you would sink them deep in the hearts of our enemies and you would bring them down, O God. And if that brings them, our children, even down with them, O God, may we rejoice that we had the time that you've had given us with them. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.